What a blessing it is to have God's Word. It is for our instruction. It is for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be perfect or whole, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, Scripture tells us. What a blessing it is. So please um, open your Bibles to James chapter 5, verse 13, and let me pray for us, and then we will read God's Word together. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you have given us your word. It is a comfort, but Lord, it is also a sword to us, and we pray, O God, that by your Spirit you would do the work of your word in our hearts, for we need it. Lord, we pray, O God, that you would open our eyes, that we could see wondrous things. Lord, open our ears to hear the glorious gospel and the good news and the commands with which you um, guide us. And Lord, we pray that you would um, open our hearts to receive your word. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. James 5, beginning with verse 13. <clears throat> Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let, him pray, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word this morning. We are nearing the end of the book of James, and as we come in for a landing, if you will, uh, from our tour of this epistle... We're seeing themes that James really brought to us in the opening verses of chapter 1. Steadfastness, patience in the face of adversity and trials and prayer. And as we read, this text that we have before us this morning centers on prayer. And for that reason, I would like to slow down a bit as we go through James and focus upon prayer for this sermon in the next two. We'll look this morning at... Uh, prayers of petition and praise. The second sermon will look at intercessory prayer, and the last sermon will look more at the, the topic of repentance and confession and how it relates to prayers for healing, as, as we saw in the text that we read. Now, given the irregularity of my Sunday morning preaching, which is, which is not a regular thing, but, but every so often, sometimes it's every few weeks, sometimes there's several months in between, you might think that that my, that my circling over the airport is, is uh, more just like I'm, I'm stuck in a pattern. Or maybe you'll think I'm just burning up fuels in case I crash land, that there won't be a big explosion. But, but I think it's important that we focus upon prayer. Prayer is something that um, is, it seems mysterious, I think, to many Christians. They find it hard. They find it difficult to be, to be consistent in prayer. Um, it may seem foreign to us, but, but it, it, it really should be a natural response to us as followers of Christ. And it should be something that, that keeps us steady in all the challenges and all the changes that life throws at us. 
Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote, We do not live an equal life, but one of contrasts and patchwork. Now a little joy, then a sorrow, now a sin, then a generous or brave action. The point is, is that life is always changing, as much as the weather is in Texas. But James, in his ever-practical way, is showing us that we are to respond to both pain and pleasure in a similar way, by looking to the Lord. And if you're following along and, and want to take notes, you'll find the outline in, your, in the insert in your bulletin. And we'll first um, talk about the importance of prayer and kind of looking at prayer in a general sense and what it is and why we do it. And then we'll look more particularly at this verse and we'll consider prayers of petition where the believer seeks relief in times of suffering. And then finally, prayers and songs of praise. And we'll see how we should respond biblically to the good times, to the blessings we receive. First of all, the importance of prayer. Why is prayer important? Well, uh, maybe, that's, maybe that's elementary, but I think it's, it's good to consider that. First of all, we have to recognize that God commands us to pray. And let me just say at the outset here, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to badger you. But I think we all need reminded of the command to pray. Because prayer is a command, but it's also a privilege. It's a duty, but it should be also our delight. And following God and, and being obedient to Him should be our primary concern as followers of the Lord Jesus. We should make it our business to be obedient. Now, if we struggle, and maybe I should say when we struggle, we should pray all the more. But we also have to realize that as with many other areas of obedience... Sometimes our actions don't always keep up with our attitude. At the very least, I trust that everyone in here that's a follower of Christ would have an attitude that says, I want to pray. I want to speak to my Heavenly Father. I want to be obedient to God's Word. Now, we could spend the whole time this morning building biblical evidence to show you that prayer is a command. But let me just give you four or five scriptures. One is in Luke 18, 1, and, and this was really the first thing that came to my mind, are the words of Jesus when he was teaching his disciples, and he says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, Jesus, if you recall, is about to give them a parable of a widow who is very persistent in her prayer. And that's just kind of a, almost an offhanded way of Jesus reminding them of the fact that they are called to pray. We could look at the, the prophets. Isaiah said to the people, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jeremiah has similar instruction for us. He says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, challenging, encouraging, and commanding his disciples and us, where he said, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, find, finds, and the one who knocks, to him it will be opened. So there's a promise here associated with the command. We are to ask, we are to seek, we are to knock, but we're promised an answer. We're promised that, that he who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And the one that knocks, it will be opened to them. Finally, in our brief tour of commands in Scripture to pray, Philippians 4, 6, one of my favorite passages, 
where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So, Scripture is full of commands to pray. And we see all throughout Scripture thinking kind of in a more general sense of this, of this sense in which we as God's created and redeemed people are responding to a God who has first spoken to us. And I want to come back and talk about that in a few moments. But we have to realize that praying is communication with our Creator and Redeemer, and it should be as natural as breathing. So we should pray because we're commanded to. But we need to think about what that means. What we're saying when we pray, it's expressing an attitude and also an activity of submission and dependence upon God. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And, and really, the, his instruction to pray is just a few short phrases when you look at it. And one of those phrases is this, give us this day our daily bread. That expresses in so few words an enormous truth because we are dependent upon God for everything. And prayer is an expression of that dependence. Now, in, in the minds, I'm sure, of the disciples hearing that, as it should be in our minds, it should harken back to the days in the wilderness when the Israelites were hungry in the wilderness and God provided the manna for them, which was literally daily provision for them. It came six days out of the seven. And then, of course, they, they were to, to keep it on that sixth day so they did not labor in picking it up and gathering it on that seventh day. But every day God provided for them. And prayer is an expression of that dependence upon God. H.B. Charles, in his book on prayer, he says this, Prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence upon God. He goes on, the things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust that you can handle on your own. Let me say that last part again. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things that you trust that you can handle on your own. So let me ask you, what do you think you can handle on your own? Do you recognize that you need him every hour? Our prayer life is an indication of our submission and our dependence upon God. Prayer is a duty. Prayer is commanded in Scripture. But it's also an enormous privilege. And I think we have to link these two together to recognize the reward of prayer, just like Jesus said there in Matthew 7, in the promise of what, it, what will happen when we ask and seek and knock. But there's an enormous privilege to prayer as well. It should be our delight as followers of Christ. What are we doing when we pray? Well, remember the catechism. We're offering up our desires to God. We're speaking to God in response to his speaking first to us. Now, I have eight children, and, and some people ask me when my children started speaking, and and um, some of them were late in talking, but, but I, I always say about my firstborn daughter that I don't remember a time when she didn't speak. Now, that's, of course, a little bit of an exaggeration, but, but the point was is that she talked. She talked a lot. But when you think about the, the, the process of learning language, it is, it is babies 
reproduce sounds they, they have, they, they hear. And, and that's just a natural part of them responding to being spoken to. And we should remember that in prayer. We, spur, we speak to God because He has first spoken to us. We, we need to be reminded of what Eugene Peterson has called the overwhelming previousness of God's speech as we pray. God, God condescends to us, the, the, the confession of faith says, that He speaks to us. He, he, he has no obligation to speak to us as His creation, but He does in grace and in mercy. And our prayer is a response to Him first speaking to us. And that's why it's so important, of course, to know God's Word. Because how do we know about God? How do we know about this God to whom we pray? It is as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. So, let me ask you, are you informing your mind with the knowledge of God so that you can pray your prayers rightly? So that they are formed according to who God is and how He works? What a blessing it is to have God's Word. Now, I'm not saying all, all your prayers have to be these flowery, all, full of all those these and thous, but, but we should seek to know much about the God to whom we pray, and we must seek to approach Him rightly. Prayer is a response to our knowledge of God, and we must know that whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him, Hebrews 11, verse 6. And the better we know God, the better our prayers will be. The more confidence we will have in prayer because we know what God has said about how He answers prayer. Prayer is a delight. It's our opportunity to respond to the God who has first spoken to us. But who is this God? Well... Again, looking at the Lord's Prayer, how did Jesus instruct His disciples to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven. We are praying to our Father. When we pray, we are asking our Father for a favor. Regarding this, Jesus said in Matthew 7, He goes on from, from the passage that I read before, Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? I thought of this, and I thought of a, of a beautiful illustration, and this is a true story that my father-in-law tells from, from his youth. Um, my father-in-law, uh, Amy's dad, his, his father passed away in a tragic accident when, when uh, her dad, Don, was only four years old. And her mother uh, spent, um, his, his mother, I'm sorry, spent a few years as, as a single mother of, of six. And then um, she met a widower who had 13 children, and they got married. And her dad is either the youngest or the next to the youngest of the whole tribe of 19. And he tells a story of when he was about 16, and um, he had been helping his stepdad haul hay. And he had never, in about... Eight years, I think it was, that, that he and um, his mother, uh, Sam, and, and Don's mother had been married. Had, he had never asked his stepdad for anything. And he said they were, 
they were riding in the truck, and they'd been hauling hay, and, and um, he didn't even look at him, but he, he said, Sam, I was wondering if I could borrow a couple dollars. And he didn't respond. And he thought maybe he didn't hear him. You know, the windows were down. Hay was blowing around. And he said he looked over there at him. He said, and tears were running down his face. And Sam said, all these years, I've been waiting for you to ask me for anything. And all you ask for is $2. He said, of course you can have that. And I thought, isn't that so much like our Heavenly Father? And he said this. I called him on Friday, and, and I was glad I did. I asked him permission if I could share this story. And, and this is what made it even better. He thought that since he was helping him haul hay, that would give him extra standing. Because he had done the work that his brothers weren't able to do, he could maybe get a little extra clout. Isn't that like us? We, we try because we think we can earn our way into God's favor. And he's waiting. Scripture tells us the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Isaiah 30, 18. He is our Father who delights in giving us good things. And he's the one that is omnipotent and omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what we truly need. He's all-powerful. He can move mountains to give us what we need. He is our Father who loves us and promises to give us what we need. This is the God to whom we pray. Prayer is a privilege that should give us confidence as we come to our Heavenly Father. Well, we, we, that's kind of a, a foundation for what we need to say about this verse Verse 13, so prayer is a response to God, and, and here James gives us two very diverse situations in which we respond to the God who has spoken to us and who has made us and who gives us good things. Perhaps you've noticed a pattern in, as we read the opening verses of this text, if any one of you or is any among you suffering, is any among you cheerful, is any among you sick, what's the response of all of these things? It's prayer. The first condition that he addresses is suffering. He's already dealt with this at length, um, but he's writing to sufferers. We see that really all throughout, and, and we've seen various ways throughout this epistle that people suffer. One scholar has, has considered this, this Greek word that is translated here, suffering, as suffering the evil blows of the outside world. Another said that it's really anything where someone would look at your life and say, oh, that's really bad. And as I look across this congregation, as I think about people that, that I know, really all of us have ways in which we suffer. We, you might be suffering physically. There's been a number of people in our church family that we've prayed for throughout this last week that have suffered greatly in the form of physical suffering. I know there's some that, that are hearing the sound of my voice that are silent sufferers. You're not the one that's going to call the church every time you stub your toe. But you know what? Sometimes you need to say something. Sometimes the silent sufferers need to speak up because we're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to share our needs. We need to be able to pray for one another. We need to be able to offer words of encouragement. And if you suffer in silence, you don't give other people that opportunity. Some are suffering financially. This last year has been hard for many people. Perhaps you've lost your job and realized that there's few jobs out there for which you feel qualified or that will meet your needs. Perhaps you're suffering in areas of emotional or mental health 
Perhaps you're grieving the loss of loved ones. Perhaps you're suffering in relationships. Perhaps you're estranged from children or parents or siblings. Trouble can take many forms. Job said, as sparks go up from the flame, so outdo troubles. It's a sure thing. The psalmist said that many are the afflictions of the righteous. So how do we respond in all these different forms of suffering? We pray. We go to the Lord. That's the counsel, to pray. The verse that I just read from Psalm 34 goes on, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. God is our deliverer. It's to the Lord we pray. We pray to our Heavenly Father, the one who knows our needs and trials and suffering and has all power to answer our prayers. Sometime you might be in the midst of suffering and feel like you don't even have words to pray. And that's okay. You can look at Scripture. You can look at the prayers of the psalmist. You can look at the prayers of Paul. You can look at the prayer of Hezekiah when he cried out for mercy. We can even just pray a lament that says, Lord, help me. Lord, I don't know why I'm suffering, but give me strength to hold on to you. And this verse is, is very short. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. The truth of the matter is, is that we have a God who hears when we pray, and we have a God who answers when we pray. Scripture teaches us throughout all of Scripture that God is sovereign, and we, we proclaim that boldly to the world. That God is sovereign over all. That God is in the heavens and he has done whatsoever he has pleased. Yet, we also have to hold this companion truth in our hand that God answers prayer. That God responds to the prayers of his people. In his book, If God Already Knows, Why Pray? And, and I love the title of that book because that, that drew me in and, and made me want to read the book. But Douglas Kelly in that book, he says this, We must hold together in our minds these two tremendous biblical truths. The first is that God has an all-encompassing plan and is utterly sovereign over all. Period. The other is that human prayer really is effective in the supernatural realm. Instead of the sovereignty of God clashing with the prayers of the believer, the two actually presuppose one another and fulfill and undergird one another. Isn't that amazing? That the God of the universe, who is sovereign over all and will always accomplish his purposes, has ordained that your prayers and mine are part of the outworking of his glorious sovereign plan. Think about what you're doing when you pray. You're participating with God in what he it will accomplish. Not because of you, but because of what he has chosen to do in and through us. He works in and through our prayers. And we must know that, that prayer works. That God does answer prayer. It's not simply a pious thing to make us look good while we're suffering. And, and we should be pious and we should seek to bear up under trials. But we've got to know that it really works. Charles Spurgeon said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. I love that. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. God will answer every prayer. I, I think I'm paraphrasing someone much wiser than me. God will answer every prayer, either in the way that you ask or in the way you would ask if you knew everything that God knows. God answers prayer. But there's also a challenge here because 
What do we often do in the midst of trouble? Well, often we complain. Often we don't lament to God as we should, but we complain to others. William Cooper wrote a hymn that, that I was unfamiliar with. It, it's called What Various Hindrances We Meet. It's about prayer. And I, I might add, William Cooper was one who suffered greatly. He, he, he even despaired of life. He, he suffered depression. But he writes these words. Listen to this. And, and this, is, this, is, this is a rebuke to, to us, to me. But he says, have you no words? Ah, think again. Words flow apace when you complain. And fill your fellow creature's ear with the sad tale of all your care. Were half the breath thus vainly spent to heaven in supplication sent, your cheerful song would oftener be, Hear what the Lord has done for me. Too often we complain in the face of trials. Sometimes, however, we withdraw. We don't complain, we just kind of draw into ourselves in fear and despair. Sometimes we respond with pride and self-reliance, thinking we can figure this out on our own. We got this. We don't need anybody to help us. Remember, prayer is about dependence upon God. But he goes on. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. Let him sing praise. So we go on to the next point, prayers and song of praise. And the condition is that one is cheerful, or as the King James says, merry. We think of cheerful as being synonymous with happiness. Um, it means to make glad or to be of good courage. Interestingly, the, the only other place where this, is, this Greek word is used is in Acts when Paul is facing certain shipwreck. They've been at sea, they've been battered by the storm for days upon days, and what does he tell his his, his comrades, the shipmates on the ship. He says, be of good courage. Take, take heart. We're not going to die. Now, we, we probably would look at that and think, well, that's not a very cheerful situation in the middle of a storm. But, but Paul is saying, take heart. Be of good courage. So we should think of this more in terms of a state of emotions rather than the outward circumstances that we find ourselves in. But the counsel he gives is to sing songs of praise. Now, that may seem very simple to you, and on in, in one hand, again, that it is, but often, when we're blessed, we fail to remember. Sometimes, I think it may be harder for us to obey this second part of the verse than it is the first one, because as Christians, I, I think maybe it's easier for us to cry out in the midst of difficult circumstances than it is to sing praise in the, when we've been blessed. And think about when, what God told the Israelites when they were ready to go in the promised land. In Deuteronomy 8, really all of Deuteronomy is kind of a setting up of this grand entrance into the promised land that God promised to Abraham hundreds of years previous. And in Deuteronomy 8, God has reminded the people of his care for them in the wilderness, and he admonishes them about their hearts when they enter the land of promise. promise. He says, verse 7, Deuteronomy 8, 7, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and spring, flowing out in the valleys and hills. Remember, they've just been in a wilderness. 
a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Remember, all they had had was manna. In which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. There's a lot to be cheerful about right there. Hmm? But then he goes on. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery we are too often like the children of Israel, and we forget the good things that God has given to us. Sometimes even when we pray for weeks or months, and God answers prayer and provides, and we too often just go on to the next thing. This is why the author of Proverbs 30 said, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the, name, profane the name of my God. We are so often prone to forgetting. Too often we move on as though we were never concerned or lacking anything. Often our, our scoutmaster at our scout troop will admonish the boys in his, in his time before them about prayer. He uses it to, to teach them about God's word. And I so appreciate things he says. And, and one thing he said more than once, and it's been an encouragement to me, is this. He says, as long as you pray for something, you should say thank you to the Lord for that long as well. If you pray for two weeks, you should say thank you to the Lord for two weeks. If you pray for 20 years, you should spend the next 20 years thanking the Lord for what he has given and how he has answered prayer. Now that's hard maybe, but... It is a good reminder that we need to be people that sing and say thanks to God. And on that note, I want us to notice one thing as we come to a close. We're speaking to those who, are, when speaking to those who are cheerful, James doesn't just say that they're to speak praise, although that's something we see throughout Scripture, that we that that is in order, and we're commanded in other places in, in the Bible to do that. But here in this verse, we are called to sing praise. Saints of God, we are called to be singing people. I love to hear people sing. I think, of the, I think about what it's going to be like in heaven to sing around the throne of God with the myriads of millions and thousands of people that are singing God's praise together. What an amazing thought that is. We're told in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We are called to sing. Now some may say, well, I'm not a very good singer. Did you know you can become better? You can, you can apply yourself to learn to sing better? Now, some may say, well, I can't carry a tune. Well, I didn't see that that is an excuse here in Scripture. Maybe you shouldn't sing as loud as someone else, but <laughs> you are still called to sing praise to God. Now, some young men may say, well, it's not manly to sing. Well, to you, I say, I'm sorry, you're wrong. 
because I think it is a very manly thing to do. Here in a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to sing a couple more hymns, and, and some, particularly the last one, is one that, that, I'll tell you, you need to sing it as a man would sing it, young man. But think about Paul and Silas. They, they were in prison. Think about Acts 16. They were in prison. They, they weren't just cast into prison. They, they were cast into prison after they'd been beat up in the town square. It says that, that the local magistrates tore their clothes from them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And verse 23, it says, When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. So here they are. Paul and Silas are in prison. They're, they're new, nursing the wounds that they had received, which I'm sure were significant. Their feet were in stocks. They're sitting there. And what does it say they do? They pray and they sing. Both of the things that James tells us to do. They were in the middle of trouble. I'm telling you. They were in trouble. And they were sing, praying and singing. Now, I'm not sure I would have felt like singing in that moment as much as I love to sing. When I'd just been beat up and I'd been thrown in prison for the gospel. But that's what they were doing. And I love this. Scripture tells us that the other prisoners were listening to them. That was something very unusual to be heard in the halls of that prison. And it was in that moment that God chose to work. God brought a mighty earthquake that shook the prison. And God brought mighty conviction that shook the jailer. And he cried out, what must I do to be saved? And the answer that Paul gave him is the same answer for those here that this morning might be asking, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, will God bring an earthquake or some miracle every time you pray or sing songs of praise? No. But the Godward focus of your life as believers, as followers of Christ, if you faithfully and consistently cry out in the midst of your trouble, crying out to a God who cares, and when you are blessed and you are cheerful and you are of a state of mind where you're reflecting upon God's mercy and grace, if your heart is tuned to Him in songs of praise, the world will notice. And it will be a powerful testimony to those around you. And you never know what God will do. Let's pray.